Welcome to the Fab Lab, the stone industry's only podcast dedicated exclusively to the business side of your stone shop, where we focus on improving operations inside the business so we can experience more life outside of it. So let's get down to business. Welcome back to the Fab Lab Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Crowley, and I'm here with my co-host, Wesley Rice. Wes, it is great to be back with you in the aftermath of this fantastic interview that we did. You said that you'd listen to this episode three times during the editing process. What were your thoughts? What was your perception? The first time I listened to it, I was taking uh, notes saying, oh, this is great, this is great. And then I went to and listened to it again, and a third time. And, you know, each time I listened to it, uh, I got information from it. It's, it's um, a lot of great content there that we could probably go back and have them back on. It's it's worth diving into that deep. I, I think that uh, I'd like to have Emerson back on. So, ladies and gentlemen, we interviewed Emerson Schwarzkopf. He is the publisher and editor of StoneUpdate.com. Uh, now, Emerson's background is pretty interesting in terms of what he does for the industry right now. StoneUpdate.com uh, is a way for him to share import stats. He is monitoring the granite, the quartz, the porcelain, the tile imports into the United States of America and posting that information. And so he is very much in the know. He is very, very well connected to the import side of our industry in terms of the raw materials. And so he's an expert on the the, the Chinese tariffs on quartz, this big, big issue that kind of blew up last year. A lot of confusion, a lot of uncertainty. Well, we had him on the podcast to talk about that, and it was a fantastic subject. I Pretty much everything he shared with us was news to me, and uh, it was so enlightening and so interesting to hear his perspective. And like you said, Wes, we touched on a lot of other aspects of this issue uh, that are definitely worth having him back on. And so we're going to get to that in just a minute, but before we do, I want to mention a word from our sponsor, Stone Fabricators Alliance. Wes, let us know what's going on. Yeah, the Stone Fabricators Alliance has a workshop coming up. It's going to be uh, hosted in Concord, North Carolina. Uh, between March 19th and the 20th, and they are covering topics like apron sinks, silica desk, dyeing natural stone, introduction to marble sculpting. It's going to be a great event and definitely worth checking out. Yes, yeah, so if you are down in the southeast, if you're within two, three, four hours of North Carolina, ladies and gentlemen, fans of the Fab Lab podcast, I would definitely recommend that you go and visit Ron Hanna's shop and join the SFA. Join this fantastic, vibrant community of fellow fabricators helping other fabricators. That's what this event is all about. And I think I'm actually going to be there. We're still trying to nail down these details, but I think I'm going to be there. No guarantees, but that's the goal. And so, ladies and gentlemen, check out the SFA, StoneFabricatorsAlliance.com. Now to our episode. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy. Welcome back to the Fab Lab Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Crowley. So glad to be with you with my co-host, Wes Rice, and today's special guest, Emerson Schwarzkopf, owner, editor, and publisher of StoneUpdate.com. Emerson, welcome to the Fab Lab Podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, So glad to have you on. You know, before we get started talking about the topic today, the tariffs on Chinese courts, can you just give us a little bit of a background, kind of a history of how you made it into the stone industry and and what led you to this point with stoneupdate.com? Sure. About uh, 2001, 2002, a friend of mine and myself were looking at different industries that you know, we could do something in as a magazine because we'd done this before. And we noticed the stone industry was one that was up and coming and we thought could be served by another magazine. We launched Stone Business Magazine in 2002. We had very good time with it. Uh, unfortunately, like a lot of other people, uh, the late 2000s caught us in the recession and the magazine did not make it. 
after that, in 2011, I started StoneUpdate.com to offer a news website, if you will, to the industry. Uh, and that's been pretty well received. And then a couple of years ago, we decided to branch off and do an online magazine, Stone Update Magazine. That has continued and doing very well. And next month, we're actually introducing another magazine called Hard Surface Report, which we'll get to a little later. Well, fantastic. I don't know if you remember this or not, but, but I remember very clearly the first time you and I ever met, I had submitted an article. It was 2007. It was the first article I had ever written. And you graciously uh, took that article and actually put it in the magazine. And so I got to tell you, honestly, that, that was a very significant event or milestone looking back now you know 13 years later really gave me the opportunity for the first time in my life to really explore communication and so i just want to thank you you gave me that i've probably still got a you know a couple of copies of that issue stocked away sometime because it was such a huge deal to me so i just want to tell you thanks for that uh, that wonderful opportunity and it is such a privilege to now be having this conversation and so so you've been you know, researching, studying, talking about, speaking about this issue of Chinese courts, I would consider you, you know, an industry expert on this topic. And so, you know, uh, as we fabricators are doing our best to navigate the marketplace right now and the changes and, uh, you know, what's going on, I just want to get started getting kind of a background, kind of given your perspective on, on the history of this tariff, what, what caused it, what led to it, uh, and, and what's happened. And so can you speak to that? Sure. The tariff came because the Chinese manufacturers got extremely efficient at what they were doing. Uh, they've always been in the mix of people importing quartz into the United States, although for many years that was dominated when you look at the country charts by Spain and Israel, and it's not too hard to figure out that that's Cosentino Silestone and Caesar's Stone. Uh, however, about 2014, 2015, started to see a marked increase in production from China coming into the United States. And uh, probably to say that it was a roller coaster up, it would be, uh, let's put it this way, roller coasters don't run that fast. Uh, it mm. was amazing how much the uh, it grew. Uh, and that did not uh, bode well with some people, especially the one major manufacturer of in the United States, which is Cambria. And Cambria, in I believe April of 2018, filed actions with an agency called the U.S. International Trade Commission that essentially watches over these things. They thought, yes, there may be some problems with possibly the Chinese selling under market value and also receiving subsidies of one thing or one way or another of uh, enabling them to lower the price of their, their goods. Uh, that's, by the way, called countervailing, if anybody ever gets into it. And I have no idea why it's called that, but that's what it is. But as it turns out, they investigated this. They sent it off to a similarly sounding type of agency called the International Trade Administration, and that's under the Commerce Department. They investigated further. They found that, yes, indeed, they found all sorts of evidence that there were problems, uh, and they finally came down with a ruling that the U.S. International Trade Commission then put into action uh, that 
placed tariffs on Chinese quartz of uh, at least 280 and up to 350, 360%. And that's on what's called wow. the customs value. Uh, when it comes into the country, anything that comes into the country is assessed a customs value. Now, that may not have anything to do with wholesale prices or retail prices, but it is what they figure it's it's worth. And that's where they assess that tariff. So before it moves off the dock, you get to pay that. Uh, and as it turns out, we have seen a major decline, as you might expect, in Chinese imports after those went into effect. And uh, by the way, this is not something that is limited to quartz. Uh, a similar action on tile was started by an, about eight different tile manufacturers in the United States, and similar tariffs have occurred. In fact, some of the Chinese tile tariffs are up to 400%, which is why if you start to see less Chinese porcelain slabs coming across or being offered for you to, to buy, that's the reason why. So I got not knowing anything about how tariffs work and, and really manufacturing, you know, works in China. You know, I hear the word Chinese manufacturers. The first thing that enters my mind is you've got this factory over in China. They're minding their own business and they have this bright idea. Hey, let's start dumping quartz in America. But at the same time, we've got American manufacturers that go to China and set up factories to then ship stuff back to the States. Do you know which, you know, which scenario is playing out here with the quartz? A couple of different ones. Uh, first of all, yes, they did put a lot of uh, quartz into the market, and uh, irrespective of the coronavirus, which we can maybe talk about if you like a little later, the uh, what happened was that you know when the, the United States said basically put up this tariff wall, and let's face it, that's what it looks like to someone outside the United States. They put up this tariff wall. Well, that didn't mean that they just, you know, closed all the factories and went home. Uh, that shipments, those shipments have went elsewhere. Uh, a good example and a good evidence of that actually is with uh, Caesar Stone. And Caesar Stone has noted that their sales in Australia, which is really Caesar Stone's largest market for many years until the United States finally overtook it. That in Canada, that their sales have been greatly impacted because a lot of cheap Chinese quartz has been coming into the country because that, that quartz has got to go somewhere. And we're seeing that also happening in Europe and in other places as well. So that's kind of affected, that's that part of it. So essentially you have that. Uh, people who have set up factories there, uh, we're starting to see that those factories aren't being moved in toto, but you are seeing that those are probably moving to other places. And really, surprisingly, some of those places are in the United States uh, that essentially they're, they're figuring that they can manufacture these goods in the United States and do it uh, and be competitive in the market. Uh, that's what we're seeing, of course, with M uh, MSI and Spectrum Quartz uh, down in, the, I believe, the South Carolina. And we'll probably see some more like that as well. Uh, so that, and so that's kind of getting at the manufacturing side of things. You know, who's really at the, who's instigating this this flood of Chinese material? Mm -hmm. um, so, so another question. You know, we're talking about tariffs. So this is unique in that you know a lot of the tariffs, at least the conversation in the news, 
was the Trump tariffs. You know, mm -hmm. it was Trump's you know economic advisors that wanted to put tariffs on all these other things so that they would bring manufacturing back to the states. Mm -hmm. But this was not instigated by Trump. This was instigated by by a domestic manufacturer, of course, that was suffering as a result of this low price, you know, competition. Oh yes, that's exactly right. And and just so we can keep this clear, those those tariffs you're talking about, the Trump tariffs, the blanket tariffs, the Section 301 tariffs, they have any number of names, those still apply. So uh, in addition to the unfair trade tariff that we were talking about, that additional 25% tariff, is also stuck on to Chinese courts as well. So that's just an add-on. Uh, mm -hmm. So, so that's, it's, it's still there. I should also note too that uh, it hasn't changed, and this is something that amazes people when they look at it. Courts from anywhere in the world, except for China at this point, courts from anywhere in the world, enters the United States duty-free. Uh, there are duties that are assessed to other materials, such as uh, ceramic tile. There, definitely, there is there are uh, tariffs when it comes to uh, granite and marble and travertine. They're not very large; They're usually in the area of ten percent, and even sometimes less than five percent. But they are the, uh, the the quartz labs coming in the United States from anywhere in the world, other than China, are coming in without any duty whatsoever. Well, what what's the rationale behind that? Why would that exception exist? I think it is because they didn't think it was that big of a deal coming in. Uh, you know, it, literally, uh, those, it, was a, it was a section that when you research these things, you can research tariffs for many, many years on different things such as stone and, and marble and travertine or porphyry, if you like. Uh, however, with quartz, it was very much it was kind of being reported in a whole bunch of different areas and it wasn't really standardized till, oh, probably 2005, 2006. So that's when you finally get some really good things. And there wasn't a lot coming in. Uh, now there is, and you know, will that change? I don't know. There is, and I hate to bring up another set of tariffs, but I will. There is a separate set of tariffs that have been proposed uh, on European goods for a completely non-stone uh, reason, and it is about 3,000 goods on it, and Quartz is on that one, but they haven't instituted any kind of tariff on that at this point. Okay. So that would affect Cosentino, but probably not uh, a Caesar Stone. That that's, that, that's correct. Now, actually, the funny thing is Caesar Stone has been affected, and the CEO, by the way, in case you want to have the, the, the uh, genesis of this, the CEO actually noted this a couple of, month, a couple of weeks ago in talking to some Wall Street analysts that uh, they were affected because they had OEM'd, the original equipment manufacturer, which basically means you have somebody make it for you. They had OEM some of their very simple product line to people in China. And so, and so all of a sudden they were ended up with, uh, with these duties because of course it was manufactured in China and you know, they can ship that, they can shift that to another country. That's, that's probably not a problem because they were just, you know, there was on a contract basis, but yes, it also has affected other people as well. That's interesting. So in terms of the effect, one of the most, uh, kind of direct, you know, bits of news I received from a trade association was talking about not necessarily how the tariffs were going to hit the manufacturers in China or the maybe the other manufacturers that were having it made in China, 
but how it was affecting companies here domestically. Like they were getting somehow caught in this net and there was retroactive. Mm. I don't know if they were fines. I don't know if they were fees. Can you speak to that at all in terms of the impact it's had on either fabricators or, or, or domestic you know, distributors? Sure. I can, uh, the, the two words to define that, that uh, legally are called critical circumstances. What happens is that, as I was saying, the USITC, the International Trade Commission, will say, yeah, we think there's going to be some action. We, we hand this off to this other group under the Commerce Department. They do the investigation and they come up with some kind of a, uh, some kind of a penalty or there's some kind of a tariff if, they're, if they see they're going to have one. That's the problem because then they tell them, okay, within 90 to 180 days, it will come, you know, we'll announce it. That's when the shipments from China just, they were, they were astronomically going up to begin with. They just skyrocketed because it was shipments that were being done on people anticipating that there would be a tariff and they wanted to get their goods in before then. Critical circumstances means that if you increase by more than 30% of what you're sending, which the Chinese were doing, believe me, uh, what happens is that then they can go and say, okay, we're going to announce this tariff on a certain date, and then we can make it retroactive for any shipment up to 90 days before then, which essentially, and everybody knows this can happen, and uh, this is not something that just was a surprise. This was something that uh, almost immediately, as soon as they said they were going to investigate the tariffs, that the uh, legal counsel for Cambria came in and said, well, we want to have this considered too. Uh, the International Trade Administration, who investigated, said, yes, we should have that. The International Trade Commission that came back and said, you know, we'd make the final decision. They said, no, we're not going to do that. So there really weren't any retroactive payments like that. Now, okay. one of the things that is possibly could be considered one is uh, the government and the very nice way that they say it, when they do an initial tariff, in other words, when they say, we're going to be considering this tariff, but it's not finalized yet, they instruct the Customs and Border Protection people, the people at the dock, to collect a deposit, which is equal to the tariff. And then what happens is if there is no tariff, you get the money back. If there is a tariff, they keep it. And that may be where some of this came up. But no, there really wasn't this massive retroactive, because if there had been, believe me, there we would be in a much, much different landscape than we are now. Uh, there were people that were quite actively concerned that they didn't know what they were going to do. Uh, they, they were thinking, you know, I'm going to have this you know, check I'm going to have to write for $300,000. These are fairly minor players. Uh, they didn't end up having to do that. But uh, so it didn't really hurt. What it did do, and to kind of uh, answer a bit to what happened, what that did do, though, is it did uh, all of those shipments, plus with this really customs and, and, and tariffs work in strange ways. There was this, like this little two-month window last year before they finalized a tariff where you could ship, once again, duty-free, and, and China pushed a massive amount of courts in the United States. We thought by that and by that huge surplus that was sent in because China was building up, you know, they're trying to ship everything they could, that there was going to be this glut. And the glut would drive down prices. The glut would have problems with other people. And as it turns out, that didn't happen. 
the market ate it up. Uh, the, 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 the market for quartz out there was such that uh, you didn't end up having large stockpiles of uh, Chinese uh, quartz hanging around places. Essentially, supplies started coming in from other countries that filled that gap that the Chinese were, were, were shipping uh, on a regular basis. So, in essence, what you've got now versus, uh, say, two years ago when there was no tariff and there's none of this, is that really about the same amount, if a little bit more, of course, is still coming into the United States. It's just coming in from different countries. Hmm. Yeah, well, we saw it was interesting that it was an increase in the price of quartz with mm -hmm. everybody else. It was, and I don't think it's a conspiracy, but it seemed like everybody perceived, hey, the supply, uh, this, was our, this was our perspective as a fabricator looking at all these prices going up. Uh, it, it had a very just unanticipated effect that, that everybody else's product actually increased from a little bit, in some cases, we thought was significantly. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so where is it at now? So the tariff is, is baked in, it's done, it's behind us. For so China, yes. For China, instead of, you know, the, the product coming out of China, it's either going to other markets or they're manufacturing at other places and it's still coming into the U.S. just without the Chinese tariffs? Yes, that's what you're seeing uh, in, in a number of areas. Uh, we've seen, of course, you know, the fill-in come in from India and Turkey, which, of course, Cambria has filed a tariff action against them, and that's currently in the mix, although it is not as large a tariff as we saw with, uh, with, the, with what we got from China. I mean, theirs is fairly low. I mean, it's in the single digits, except for one particular thing where they say that India got larger subsidies, and they're still arguing over that one. Uh, but you're seeing it coming in from different countries. We're seeing new players come into the market. Uh, such as Malaysia, Philippines a little bit. We're seeing a lot coming in from Vietnam at this point. Uh, they, oh. have, they have grown quite big. And like I say, Malaysia is probably the biggest one that we've seen really growing at this point. Uh, so yeah, so we're, we're seeing more people come in. And then, like I say, the, the market for the Chinese courts, uh, it's not coming here, but it's going other places. Huh, that's interesting. So what, what do you think... In terms of today, looking at the quartz market in the United States, what, what do you think the net effect has been of all of this turmoil, all of this upheaval, all of this speculation? You know, what, what's the reality today, it, just in, in terms of quartz manufacturing, the price of quartz, uh, you know, from your perspective, and then, you know, maybe from a fabricator's perspective? Uh, really, the perspective is that we're, we're still seeing, you know, of course, we're seeing major demand. So, Obviously, that's not going away. Uh, we are starting to see some of the larger companies decide that uh, maybe we're not going to be so much of the simple stuff. Uh, we'll, we'll deal with more complicated designs and other features. So you're seeing that. So you're not going to, to see a lot of the planar colors, let's face it, uh, or non-marble type or non-granite type. Uh, those will be kind of farmed off into other countries and you won't see that. The other thing that we'll see is we'll see more manufacturing in the United States. This really has uh, kick that into gear. I mean, you've got downtown now with their, with their American products and uh, that. I mean, uh, I, I remember in, in talking with the owner of Cambria, Marty Davis, that uh, he, he said that when the initial Chinese tariffs went into effect, uh, he said the thing that was really surprising is all of a sudden uh, uh, 
prices started to change on a number of competitors, and he said he knew exactly the reason why, and it was because, of course, they were getting from China. Uh, and uh, they have changed that, that model, but, but uh, they have decided to do that. So you've got uh, downtown. Of course, you have Caesar Stone, who has a, uh, a factory in the United States. It's idle right now, but that's more to Caesar Stone's problems financially than it is to supply and demand. Uh, yeah. you hey, plan- mind, if we, mind if we rabbit trail onto that? I, I'm yeah. curious, what, what can you, I don't know what's, what's public knowledge, what's, uh, what's safe for you to share, but I'd love to hear more about that. Well, actually, it's all public knowledge because Caesar Stone is a public company. Uh, they are publicly traded uh, on the NASDAQ. Um, oh. and, and probably they have taught most other companies in this industry that they should never go public because they have to tell people <laughs> everything. Uh, but in all seriousness, yes, they have had problems financially uh, in trying to, uh, to do that and also trying to get a really good, effective uh, product flow. And so they did some reorganization. They have reorganized their efforts in the United States. They reorganized, reorganized their sales efforts in the United States. Uh, their main uh, feel now is that they really do believe they have to go to fabricators. Not, I don't know what will come of that, but you may see more interest uh, from Caesarstone, especially in fabricators. And uh, it's allowed them to kind of uh, eat you know, get an equilibrium and, and things were going because they also were having problems uh, in work uh, flow. And it's not with labor, but it's with materials and things like that. There are problems with workflow with their plants in Israel as well. So they have essentially ironed that out. Uh, they will get the uh, facility down in Georgia back online here uh, by the middle of the year. And they expected to go in full blast by the end of the year. So, I mean, to them, it's just, it's a, it's an reorganization of their priorities and reorganization of their finances. And they're coming out of that fairly well. Hmm. So what what are the, maybe, you know, as we kind of wrap up sort of the history and the current, you know, current events, the dust is kind of settling. Mm -hmm. What are some of the, if there are any net positives from this whole ordeal and, and what were some of the negative effects of this for the stone fabricator uh, who's, who's sort of at the mercy of these events? <laughs> well, uh, you know, the negative was you didn't know what was going to be happening, especially for the fabricator who decided to say, well, I'm going to bring in my own containers. Uh, then it was, yeah, that was a major, <laughs> that was a major problem is to say, you know, what's going on here? Uh, and, you know, for people, even, this is something that people who are even in the trade and in the, the business of trade, this is something new to them. Uh, it was not unusual in, in the quartz trade and especially in the tile trade. And that's where I want to have to kind of share where uh, I was at a seminar for something else. And I get this phone call from this person who I didn't know uh, in Los Angeles. And they are saying, there's this tile tariff you wrote about. I said, yes. And he said, well, we can't find the story that you, you copied it from. And I said, that's because I wrote the story myself. Uh, and and they, they, they said, oh, and I said, you know, there's, there's real facts to this. Come and believe me. And they said, well, what happens if we have a, a boatload of, of, of tile coming over the, and it's still on the seas and, and it arrives to the dock? I said, you get to pay the tariff. And there was a real long silence at the other end of the line. These were not people who had just started doing this yesterday. They had never had an experience before like that in their life. So this is something that, by the way, when they're, you're going, 
you know, is this something that, that is strange and unusual to us? It's strange and unusual to everybody else. Uh-huh. But but what we what we saw is you know you had that uncertainty you had uncertainty with prices because then we didn't know well is there going to be a glut is there going to be no glut is there going to be a, you know you don't know because sometimes when all of a sudden you think there's a glut you price accordingly and then you go turn around and people are still buying and it turns out there's not going to be this glut then it's like well gee you know we cut prices too much. We, we need to bring them back up. We may need to increase them. So you have that uncertainty. That probably is going to start to go away. Hopefully that will start to go away with price uncertainty. Um, so that's kind of one of the real benefits. I guess the other real benefit is we're starting to see looking into things in the United States. You not only have the downtown plant in Tennessee, you've got the uh, MSI slash Spectrum Quartz plant in South Carolina. You have uh, Guidoni, who was in Brazil and was starting to ship uh, a large amount of product here. They have now uh, announced plans that they're going to go in and do this. There's a number of places in the South where there are large industrial complexes where in the past, say, five years, people have pulled out. And it's from people who made paper boxes, people who made, you know, coat hangers, whatever, that all of a sudden there's this huge area and what can we do with it? Well, we can do that. So you're starting to see those come in. So we'll start to see more domestic supply of this. So it's not going to be, well, and also I should probably say one that we always constantly overlook is uh, LG. Uh, who have like, I think they figure that probably by the end of this year, beginning next year, they're going to have three production lines running full blast in Georgia. So yeah, there's, there's a lot (laughs) of this. So we'll see a lot more coming in. Yes. Is that going to, you know, it may even out the price. It may mend up that you're going to have more, more to pay, but there'll always be some sort of foreign outlet that will come in and, and have it for a little less, you know, Turkey will be one example of that in India, uh, we're, we're not seeing a lot of that uh, as far as that. I mean, the second go-round on these tariffs were much, much lower, uh, not only than uh, the Chinese uh, tariffs, but they're much lower than anybody anticipated. Uh, they were figuring 40, 60, 80, 120%. Didn't even come to that. So we probably will see more of that. See, so we'll see more things coming in from different countries and it's going to be different, different places. It's going to be places like Vietnam. It's going to be places like Malaysia. It's going to be places like the Philippines and that'll be continuing on here for some time. Hmm. Well, that's, that's fascinating. You know, one of the, you know, from a fabricator's perspective, I think one of the, of the, of the numerous frustrations we experience with courts and in particular with the un- well, I guess I would call, and I think you had mentioned before we started recording, the unbranded courts. You know, we've got problems with the material. There is no service. There is no, you know, knowledge base for us to turn to. We're, we're completely on our own with those products and mm-hmm. left standing there holding the bag, having to support, having to stand behind a product where, where the, the company that, you know, introduced it to the market, convinced the end user to select it, we're the, you know, have the unenviable position of having the bad luck of been hired to fabricate it. And now the products failed and I've got to stand behind it and either replace it or, or somehow make it right with the client. To me, mm-hmm. more domestic manufacturing brings the, the management, brings the, the business and the brand closer to home where, where maybe some of that is reduced and, and you'll see 
you know, more support for the fabricator, the people that, you know, um, kind of get caught between, <laughs> you know, the end yeah. user and the manufacturer. Um, uh, oh, absolutely. That's, that's, that's a real key to, for any of that, that you've got to have the, the, the product support. And this is, you know, something too, that is not really, uh, limited to our industry uh tile is this one glass is another uh which are similar the fact that we have surfaces they've had you know they've had problems for years i mean that we haven't even dreamed of uh of uh -huh. people uh, I, I remember with uh, tile with glass tile that people would put glass tile in and of course they would grout it they didn't know what was in that glass and all of a sudden you know, like the grout would turn different colors it would actually start to seep into the glass itself uh there are any number of things i mean Frankly, the fact that we have something where the thing will, you know, that, that you're, you're putting in a, you know, you're putting in a kitchen top and the thing breaks and you're going, oh my gosh, I have to do it. This is, this is small beer compared to what people had to do in other places. And, you know, it's, there, there's other things to consider with that too, because when you're putting in these things, you may not think about it unless you're doing more commercial accounts, but it is also the kind of thing of, well, what happens when something interacts with the surface? Is it really going to be hard? Is it really going to not uh, keep things? I mean, these are things that are not NSF certified. Uh, so you've got major problems when you're talking restaurants, when you're talking hospitals, when you're talking healthcare facilities, when you're talking any kind of public facility like an airport. Yeah, you've got these kind of problems that will come up too, and you really don't have that support. And once again, this is something that uh, we're going to be seeing not only with quartz, you're going to be seeing it with porcelain coming along fairly soon, that there's going to be a lot of this debate about that. So, Well, and is, that, is there any correlation between that and, and, and like with metals and to a certain degree with lumber, there, there is a, a almost a scientific way to evaluate the product. So it's a known quantity. When you buy something, there is a standard that is applied to it. So you at least have some baseline in, in terms of the predictability of how the product's going to perform, the various uses that it you know, is, is ideal for or maybe not ideal for. That to me is one of the most, I guess that's a pet peeve. And it's not just with quartz, it's with granite too. Because once again, as a small fabricator, we don't inventory, we don't bring containers in. Yeah. You know, we're at the mercy of this product. The client goes and selects it. We get into our shop. We don't have any way of evaluating that material until it's cut. And, and, and then we, we're left standing there going, how is it that this industry with the, the and I don't mean to complain here, but, but to this larger point about stuff coming in, is there a way, do you foresee a way to evaluate where those same sort, sorts of grading and, and sort of measurements could be applied to courts? Um, could be applied to granite and just in terms of, of some baseline quality uh, evaluation so you you had some recourse uh, or some ability as, a, as the manu you know, the, the fabricator installer to to measure your risk when you're you know when you're cutting and installing and the customer is going to come back to you and go why isn't my quartz performing why mm -hmm. isn't my granite performing um, what, what do you see from your perspective well, I think that's something that's a, you know, that is a genuine concern. And once again, you know, I can hop over to other areas that we, we deal with in different uh, surfaces and they're the same problems with that. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned metal and, and wood because they too have the same kind of problem where, yes, they do have standards, but not everybody in the world 
applies them and they get undercut or someone comes in and say, oh, we're going to do it this way. And, you know, then they're dealing with materials that they have no idea what's in it and that kind of thing. Uh, you know, for many of those people, they're large enough that they have, they basically have, uh, they have laboratories that they, they analyze this. And it's tough to say. I mean, it would be nice if we could get some sort of standard that would be done like an underwriter's laboratory uh, or such. But once again, you know, NSF is probably closest to that. But once again, that's something where you really have to have the manufacturer participate in that as well. And so otherwise, you know, you have, uh, otherwise you just have, you know, what you're going to get uh, coming in there. It's just like with uh, containers where, you take a container of quartz and the container of quartz would come in from say Spain and it would have, you know, it's three CM and it's uh, you know, a calicata type. And uh, there are X number of, uh, you know, say 20 slabs in the container or 16 slabs in the container. Well, that's great. Well, then you went to the same kind of products coming in, same specifications, including thicknesses from somewhere like China. And all of a sudden there are 20, 22, 24 slabs in there. They're supposed to be the same type of material. They're supposed to be the same thickness, but they're not. <laughs> and, and that's the something that, you know, you would have to, to analyze with that. Uh, there, there is, there are certain ways to do that. I mean, if you really want to know how much you know, quartz is in something, you can uh, essentially put these things in a big oven and kind of bake them down to where you burn everything off and then you weigh it. Uh, that's, one thing you can do and sometimes the answers on that is a little surprising but you know nobody's really doing anything else to this point to do that and it's kind of you know that's kind of where the the, the fabricator has to say okay maybe i need to trust a, a branded product or one that comes in the united states or i demand this from my manufacturer is to say well how does it perform like that you need to tell me this uh because you know i'm i'm, I'm on the line here for the job uh and that's the kind of thing you have to do and of course you're gonna have to realize that you know when you get that you're gonna have to pay more for it that's just you know that's yeah. just the way it works uh and you know, there are a lot of things that happen that, you know, people say, well, I'll just do this and I'll use, you know, X brand versus, you know, uh, name brand and uh, then it works just fine. And sometimes it does somebody who is doing this. Unfortunately, we just don't have an overall organization that would cover all of those surfaces. We do have other organizations that are looking into these kind of things. We've got... Uh, We've got the NSI, the Natural Stone Institute. They're very good, but they only handle natural stone. And you have uh, the Association for Engineered Stone, but that essentially only deals with people who are using the Breton process for making quartz. So, you know, ultimately it comes down to basically dealing with the manufacturer to demand these types of things and say, I want to know about this. I want to know what's in it. I want to know what it can react to. It's a great thing to have, but the thing is, we're going to have to really push manufacturers. And when the manufacturers provide that, we're going to have to expect that maybe the, the product's going to cost a little more for that reassurance. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's sort of how we've handled that, at least in our, our little company, is, is distinguishing between the, the Cambrias, the Silestones, the Caesar Stones, the LGs, that, that where there is local product support, there's at least some degree of relationship versus what we would we call tier two quartz brands that are sort of mass produced and then rebranded here mm -hmm. when we present it to the client yeah you can save 
a thousand bucks on this job, but guess what? You're signing a waiver on this tier two course because I am not going to be left <laughs> having to stand behind it when it fails. Mm-hmm. And um, which isn't ideal, but it's probably in the short term the most, the shortest distance between two points of, of protecting ourselves and not, you know, winding up liable for something that we at least suspect might be a problem going down the road. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, okay. Um, so what, you know, we've talked, you know, the history, we've we, we, great just insight into what led up to this kind of getting a sense of what the current, you know, reality is and what the marketplace is, is, is largely sort of stabilizing and the dust is starting to settle. Can you speak, you know, just from a fabricator's perspective, a stone fabricator, can you make any sort of just forecast, you know, what are you seeing from your research? You know, what does this landscape look like the next two, three, five years? Uh, you know, in terms of the product itself, in terms of the impact on the market, in terms of, you know, something that would be, you know, for us fabricators just to be digesting, to be thinking about, to be anticipating maybe coming down the pipe? Well, probably with quartz, what you're going to see is intense competition from porcelain. That's probably going to be the biggest thing that you will see coming down the pike. Um, And the thing is, we tend to see porcelain as kind of like this, uh, you know, okay, it kind of looks like it. Uh, if you think that there has been a lot of money poured into trying to develop quartz, you have no idea what it looks like for porcelain. Uh, this is, these are, really? these are, yeah, these are people uh, who are very good at manufacturing. And, uh, well, I, I went through a, a a plant recently and it was amazing because not only were they cranking out they had the capacity to crank out a slab about every 30 seconds uh, wow. and uh, they could change oh you want calicata oh oh you you wanted a uh, Taj Mahal quartzite hold on a second let's refeed this uh, let me refeed the thing into the inkjet printer Okay, all right, we're ready to go. And uh, wow. <laughs> uh, they got a little more complicated, but the whole thing of it is, the most amazing thing about this plant was that I would think that uh, probably you could take this plant that was producing all this, and you could take all the personnel running that plant on any given shift and put them into two Ford Econoline vans. Uh, wow. lit- literally, just you know, less than 20 people walking around this plant. Wow. Uh, and it was just cranking out stuff like nobody and stuff was absolutely beautiful. And, you know, so you're, you've got this kind of thing where you've got people now who understand economies of scale and they understand how to do these things. Then they are going to be also understand marketing, uh, because tile, you know, the tile market is very much as I've always told people when they, they talk about these things. Uh, you know, I always talk about granite and marble and even quartz. They are real they sell on surfaces and they sell on uh, reliability. Tile has those things, but what they sell themselves on really is fashion. And they know how to switch gears Im- immediately. They know how to turn on the dime and give you the five cents change. So you will see a lot of that coming into the market. The, what we have probably right now with that, and the thing the fabricators complain about is that it's not the easiest material to work with. Uh, that is something that tooling people and that is something that even the tiling people are keenly aware of and they want to make sure that that's taken care of and you start getting some things with uh, that that really work there. So that's probably the biggest thing that I would see coming down the pike. The other thing, of course, is a fact we'll see more with uh, 
more with courts. We are going to see more of the uh, domestic coming in. So you will see maybe a stabilization a little bit, if you will, of the uh, supply. Uh, you will see, see, you know, lower in supply. And yes, that's the kind of thing you tell people you get what you pay for, but you will see more things that will have more of a backing and have more of a brand name to them uh, than you would uh, in other places. And the other thing too, is that uh, you don't be surprised with brand names that you all start to see them in different areas. For instance, you'll see, well, uh, Latte, which does Radiance. Uh, they've come out with their own porcelain line. Uh, DuPont is coming out with their own porcelain line for outdoor. Uh, so, so, so I mean, so we're starting to see a lot of different competition with that. So you may start to see more customers kind of associating with different, uh, different trade names. So you'll have to be, you know, be keenly aware of what's going on with those. So that, that's fascinating. So I, a couple of, couple of thoughts in a question or maybe a mm -hmm. question, a couple of thoughts. So sure. as I imagine, you know, the, the difference between, Quartz and granite, and you look at the advent of have I was in I was fabricating granite before quartz really hit the market, and so you saw this whole, a whole another level of sophistication and branding at all. Where you know there was no branding for granite. You got all these quarries all over the world shipping stuff to the U.S. through brokers, and it was hitting the market. Well, then you had corporations that knew how to market and introduce a product and a concept. But what you're saying is that porcelain is going to actually be even more distinguished than that in terms of their level of sophistication, their ability to brand and to influence the market. Is that what I heard you saying? Oh, yes, very much so. Uh, the one thing that porcelain has, well, actually, it's not really a detriment. But one of the things about porcelain, though, is that really in the United States, we're talking about fabricators, their relationship with fabricators probably isn't as strong as uh, it will be. And that is mainly because they really haven't had to deal in those certain levels. When, you know, people come over, if you go to coverings and you see this huge, which you have, and you see these, you know, huge aisles and aisles and aisles and aisles of tile, yeah. What you're really looking for are these huge companies, but they're really looking for distributors. They're really not looking for a lot of end users, even major end users. Uh, they're really looking for distributors to distribute their product and to make sure it's covered in certain areas. And those distributors have their relationship with uh, stone companies is kind of more or less, oh yeah, I know, I know John over here because you know he is tile and then he got and he bought this equipment. He's into marble and granite and everything else now. Uh, they don't have that kind of real direct line into uh, fabricators. So you're going to see probably more efforts by them to actually speak directly to fabricators uh, than you have in the past. And more than you even had with, uh, with courts with some of these. And you're going to see courts do more of that too. You know, the thing that I'm hoping to see, and it's not simply because I want to see more advertising in my magazines, but what I really <laughs> want to see is I want to see them really start to reach out and be communicative with them. I know that, you know, the, the fabricator is still driving a lot of the demand. Uh, Yes, we do have architects. Yes, we have designers. Yes, we have yes, we have home, you know, the Home Depot, the big box stores. They're all driving that, but fabricators are driving that too. And I think that they are getting more and more of a feel for that. And tile will too, because tile is really starting from scratch. Mm -hmm. They're starting, you know, from really their 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 relationships are they don't have long relationships with people in the fabrication with people that can handle big pieces of, of material to put into say a kitchen countertop. And the other thing that they have an advantage of 
to be very honest, is they're not facing the resistance that people had to courts. Let's face it, let's be very honest. When courts started putting into the market, there were a lot of shops that said, no, we, we would run something about courts in Stone Business Magazine, say 15 years ago. And boy, the pushback we got from people was like, you know, how could you do that? You know, we were, we were in the muck with these people. And, uh, yeah. and you know, the, 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 the Great Recession and a lot of other things changed a lot of people's minds. That's not the case now. It's not so much get that stuff out of my shop. It's how do I cut it? How do I cut it, you know, so it's not, you know, taking, you know, you know, an hour to cut one foot of it, you know, that kind of thing. So that's, so, so you, you're, you, this is the relatable stuff that, you know, they're coming to. And that's something yeah. that, yes, indeed, they are keenly aware of and they want to make sure that they address that and they probably will be addressing a lot more directly. So the thing is, you may have the sophistication, you may have a lot more things going in, but what I'm hoping and I am seeing a little bit of is that they're also going to be reaching out a bit more, that it's going to be a little bit more communicative. Uh, it's going to be tough at the start because, you know, fabricators of stone and quartz and large products are speaking somewhat of a different language. Yeah, it's the same same material, but, you know, you're talking to people that when, you know, they, they, they talk to their, their general audience, it's kind of like, you know, large format. Oh, yeah, 24 by 24. Boy, you know, you know essentially their idea of large format is the biggest tile that somebody can carry by themselves. And that's and may sound amusing, but for people in the tile industry, boy, you, you, you go to some of the real old salts in the, uh, in, in covering, I would probably challenge anybody, any of the old salts and the, they went to coverings and started talking to tile people and they'd say, you know, what is a big tile? That may be the definition that they're going to get. And obviously we have a completely different idea of how to do things. And it's a benefit to them. And they have a material that's going to be a benefit to us. It, it's, there has to be a meeting of the ways. And that's hopefully what we'll be seeing here in the next two, three years is much more of that. And that's where I think we'll be going. Well, that's interesting. And, and, and I don't, maybe you can shoot holes in this or, or validate it. But you mentioned coverings. And so when I, when I proportionately speaking, when I imagine the, the perimeter of the fabrication area and coverings it's like a dot <laughs> compared yes. to the and and when you think about it yeah the rest of coverings is i mean so tile it, so in that i guess that sets the stage for my question so is that the scale or the scope of in terms of courts being this relatively small footprint corporate wise branding and then you look at the scope and you know scale of, of tile Mm -hmm. Is that sort of the, the same level of influence they'll be able to bring to the market in terms of introducing this product? So as a fabricator, I don't want to resist the inevitable. Uh, whereas if I'm imagining porcelain's coming down the pipe, doesn't matter what I think or what I want, it, it's a reality. And, if, and if, if the size of that industry that's going to be introducing it is that big, yeah, I got to get on board. I can't stick my head in the sand. I think what you said there is absolutely correct, that you really can't stick your head in the sand. You've got to be aware of it, and you've got to be aware of what it can do. Uh, are we going to see absolutely huge boosts like we see for some of the tile people and saying, hey, you know, this is, you know, we're, we're, we're coming after you like this? Um, probably, you know, it's not going to be as massive as, say, they would try to do for the general tile market. That's still a massive, massive, massive market. But even if you think about it, 
the last couple of coverings and uh, and especially probably this year, when you start going around and you look at different things, you will realize, man, where did all this stuff come from? Actually, it's been there a couple of years. Uh, ah. The thing is now is we're starting to see more of the it's it's it sounds kind of funny, but it's kind of like oh oh you want you want uh, you want this you want a, you want a statuario and you want it with uh, with the with the, the veins uh, going this way and a little bit this way okay we'll we'll, we'll go do that next week uh, I mean that's, <laughs> that that is almost the kind of you know reason that they have and if you look at this stuff you know well who buy it? well somebody was buying this and that's why they were making it uh, and you're kind of wondering you know who would buy that stuff. That's why they were doing that because of SMD. But, you know, to them, this is a market that they're seeing, yes, we want to get into. It's just the matter of kind of coming to grips with how that market works. And the U.S. market's different than others because of that. I mean, there there's a lot more, you know, independence in the market in the United States. There's a, a lot more people doing more than just the full shop fitting that, you know, you have specialists in certain areas. So that's something that they've come to grips with really in regular tile, but now they're coming into a completely different industry. It's not that that's going to be insurmountable to them. It just is that they're going to have to kind of, you know, get up to speed in that. But believe me, they're not going to, they're not going to be wasting a lot of time getting up to speed. <laughs> well, if there's any porcelain manufacturers listening, which it could be, <laughs> I, I, I would reiterate what, what, what you said, Emerson. The, the key here is going to be developing those relationships with the fabricator. And I was at an event, a roundtable last fall, where I think it was United Tiles Porcelain Division. They had some reps there, and, and we're in this room, and they're saying, well, why are you guys resisting this? It, it, from their perspective as a manufacturer, they are absolutely incredulous. They cannot understand why there's a hesitancy. And, and their response was, well, you, you, you introduce this product, you create demand for it. There's no tooling, there's no processes, there's no training. Once again, as the fabricator, I'm in this catch 22 where if I don't agree to fab it, I lose the sale. Mm -hmm. Well, now I'm fabricating it. It's falling apart in my shop or cracking or splitting or doing unpredictable things. And your answer is we'll sell you another slab. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're trying to put the burden of research and development on us. We're supposed to somehow support, you know, and, and, and we've got the greatest to lose in that, in that introductory phase where those questions are being asked and those solutions need to be created. Mm -hmm. if, if the industry would partner with us and say, hey, let's work together to figure out how to actually fabricate and install this stuff, there would be a lot less resistance to the product as opposed to you're on your own and if there's a problem, it's your fault because you fabbed it wrong and yeah, I'll sell you another slab. Well, great. I just lost money on that job. Thank you very much. <laughs> done. Well, it, it, it really comes down to, you know, it's, it's a difference of how you look at things. I mean, I'm sitting in a room right now that the, the flooring is tile. And uh, I suppose I could go through and, you know, if I was really a manic, I could uh, sit and you know, count every tile that's in here. But I would probably guess that of the tile that was used to do this room, 95% of it involves just simply putting down a cut finished product. Only 5% of it needed customization. When you look at a slab, porcelain slab that's going to a countertop, 100% of that material needs customization. Nobody puts down a square face. You know, it's it's going to require something. And that is an adjustment that, you know, 
that sometimes you have to state the obvious. Uh, you know, and that's probably if I was in that meeting, I would have just said that, you know, we have to customize every piece. We don't, we can't just take stuff out of a box and run with it. Right. It's got to be done that way. And that's why we need this help. It's not like we don't want your product. We desperately want your product, to be honest. It just is, it's got to work for us so we don't lose money. And I think, you know, and like I say, others are catching up to this. They're finding this thing out. And they're saying, okay, what can we do to make this better? And, you know, they definitely will adapt to that. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, you see these things made. I mean, you're looking at it and you're going, Wow. Uh, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're spending the money on it. They want to make sure that it's done and it's done right. It's just as a matter of getting that done. So, you know, hey, shifting gears here, you know, Emerson, this is just, I have learned so much about this. You know, it's, it's interesting. We're in the middle of this industry. This is what we do for a living. And yet it, it's amazing that there can be this much change and this much you know, information and, and to miss it and, and to not be aware of it. And so I just, number one, want to thank you for, uh, you know, just coming on and, and providing that perspective, giving us that historical background and, um, and just really educating the stone fabrication community as it relates to this topic. And you mentioned a minute ago, you know, you're hoping that this, this porcelain thing takes off because it be, be, be <laughs> advertising, you know, for your publication. So tell us a little bit more about your publication, stoneupdate.com and the other, you know, publication you're about to launch. Sure. I mean, we've got, you know, we've got Stone Update, which is essentially a website where you can go and we kind of do things 24-7 in it. Uh, we have Stone Update Magazine, and that's something we put out about every two months. And you can find that at uh, www.stonemag.com. And uh, you can also sign up on there or any of the different sites that we have for subscriptions. And then you kind of get all three. Uh, but that, that covers the area. The thing that we're doing next month and we'll start is a monthly publication, and that's called Hard Surface Report. If you have been, if any of you have been looking at our site, you'll notice that every month I do something called Stat Watch, which is a column that basically says, okay, this is where the, the quartz market is, and here's the leaders and this kind of thing. Uh, that's going to be expanded. What we're going to do is every month we're going to go through all the sectors and we've just decided that even though we can't do slabs, we think porcelain is big enough that we're just going to track all porcelain coming into the United States. So essentially everything that you have that we can divide up, which would be granite, marble, travertine, uh, other calcareous, uh, slate, uh, court slabs, we will have been reporting on a monthly basis. And we're going to be doing this with interactive charts and very uh, interesting things where we sometimes take numbers. I like numbers. I have, must admit, I'm a numbers nerd with that. But I think that there's ways that numbers can tell you stories. Uh, we've gone through this in this entire podcast. Basically, we really haven't really said very many numbers, but that's what this whole thing's been about. Uh, and we basically take those numbers and we develop charts. We develop things so you can see trends. You can see where things are coming. If uh, You know, the coronavirus, I hate to say, is going to be one that's going to be indicated there. So you can see where China has, what's happened to China in the last couple of six months. Uh, even before it came up. So you can start to see what some of the effects were with the tariffs and everything else. So, you know, that's the kind of thing we're doing with that. And that will be available at hardsurfacereport.com. Uh, right now, if you go there, there's going to be a page saying we're coming soon and a link to say you can subscribe and you can go there. And of course, with all of this stuff that we do, it's all free. So, um, you know, you're, you're, you're free to get in it and, uh, we don't charge for, for anything. And we don't ask you a whole lot of information outside of where you are and your company and what your name is. So we can do decent demographics. But other than that, 
And we don't track where you go on the internet too. That's your business. It's not ours. <laughs> well, that, that's great to know. Well, that is fantastic. And what a tremendous service you're providing to the industry uh, in terms of just that information and that research and just making that available to the fabrication community. I, uh, I really am grateful for the work that you're doing and the role that you're playing in the industry to help advance, you know, uh, the industry itself. And, and along with that, you know, the individual fabricators that are, uh, are out in the shop every day trying to figure out how to make a living putting these countertops in. And so, Emerson, what a, what a privilege, what an honor to, to spend this hour with you. I really appreciate your insights and uh, you taking the time to, to come on the podcast today and share with us. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, Emerson, fantastic. Well, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you again. Take care. Man, Wes, that was a fantastic interview. Yeah, when it comes to quartz and porcelain and tariffs and new material coming onto the scene, there's a lot of bad information going on there. A lot, well, a lot of rumors running around, and it's tough to know what is true, what is not. So it is great to hear from Emerson, hear his perspective from a qualified opinion on the topic. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing. You know, you get somewhat isolated. You're running the business. You're stuck. You're focused. You're, you're just intent on getting the job out the door, getting the next job in so you can get it built. And, and, and it's easy to to not realize how many professionals, how many experts in the industry are there with tremendous information to share that's very valuable, very insightful and helpful for us to plan, you know, going forward. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Emerson Schwarzkopf. I, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Something else I want to mention, ladies and gentlemen, just going to give you an, an opportunity to reach out to me directly. I haven't done this before on the Fab Lab podcast, but I want to invite you. If you would like to share a frustration that you've got, I would like you to contact me directly. My email address, which I've never shared on the, the show before, is Aaron at AaronCrowley.com. About as simple as it gets. You can email me directly. I'd love to hear what your biggest frustration in your stone shop is today. It's possible we might even address that on an episode on the future. And so, ladies and gentlemen, so glad that you tuned into this episode of the Fab Lab Podcast. Such an honor to be in relationship with you as we all seek to better the business side of our stone shops. We hope you'll tune in next time. And until then, happy fabricating.